From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to the HPS Insights Podcast and our special series on higher education. I'm Stacey Kerr, former Chief Communications Officer at Georgetown University, partner here at HPS, primary contact for our education team. We're excited to take a deeper look at the higher ed sector in a series of conversations that we have planned based on our recent analysis and education on hard realities facing higher ed. We'll share some of our insights today, and our series will bring guests to the discussion to dig in further. We will be talking to university presidents, investment officers, and leaders from public affairs who have the challenging and critical responsibility for articulating these complex financing structures to their stakeholders. I'm so happy to be joined for these conversations by my colleagues, Matt McDonald and Elliot Owensby, who are both students of the higher ed sector and bring analytical insights and a strategic lens to these topics. We've had some robust conversations among our team, and we look forward to sharing them with you and discussing with our guests on this series. Our first guest in this series will be Brent Colburn, the Vice President of Public Affairs and Communications at Princeton University. Brent will join us to give perspective on the challenges he's seeing facing the higher education sector, particularly in relation to the underlying economic realities. So let's jump right in. Matt and Elliot, welcome. And thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. Thanks, Stacey. I'm looking forward to these discussions. It's, um, it's a fascinating time to be studying what's happening in higher ed, as you both know. We have some unique perspectives that have shaped our analysis. But let's um, start by sharing a summary of our work and then bring some of our insights to life here. Uh, as I mentioned, HPS recently conducted an analysis, which we've put out looking at the higher ed landscape at this time of great and in some cases, dire disruption. We focused on university financing, which informed our belief that misperceptions among two critical groups of stakeholders, consumers of higher ed products and policymakers, are a real threat to the aid and support that's going to be required to sustain the sector through the economic recovery that we're about to go through. As we say in the paper, collectively, public misunderstanding of the underlying economics of higher ed poorly positions the sector to seek support from policymakers or families at this time of urgent need. So Elliot, why don't I start with you and um, can you share a little bit about what we what we looked at in the analysis? So as Stacey, as you mentioned, I think higher ed is fascinating to us because it's a classic example of where the headlines don't match the uh, reality, certainly for many institutions. The first piece that we wanted to look into was the narrative around the cost of college. And we went over to the college board and pulled together some of their data on both financial aid as well as what they call total fees, room and board. And that's basically the all-in cost of college. And when you compare the two, you end up with uh, what's often called net price or basically the true cost of college once you account for financial aid. So as we looked at the growth over a roughly 20-year period, we were looking for the right benchmark. And so we went over to our friends at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, an HPS favorite, (laughs) and pulled to the inflation data from the Consumer Price Index to give us a sense of how compound annual growth in this net price, true cost of college, would relate to the rate of inflation and the general overall price increases for consumer goods. You're going to make us wait on what we found, right? <laughs> yeah, right. No, that's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to leave, <laughs> leave some meat on the bones for McDonald's. We'll finally get right. to say something. All right. 
The next piece that we often see in the headlines has to do with university endowments and the financial resources that schools uh, have or don't have to bring um, and as it relates to student life and education. That one's been especially, I think, in the headlines in this in the at the beginning of the pandemic here and as we've looked at what the you know what the what the sector is facing. Yeah, I think there's a narrative around, you know, endowments as they uh, are conceived to be, uh, you know, in terms of a checking account and what they actually are, which is closer to an annuity or something that, you know, delivers a rolling return. Yeah, especially as we saw, you know, students asking for tuition and room and board back, or students suing universities and sort of the, the, the delta between what endowments are really actually cover in university finances and the perception that they're sort of these slush funds. Yeah, that's exactly right. And particularly once we started to dig into the data, you know, the National Center for Educational Statistics, the NCES, publishes data on the top 100 endowments um, and and some of the largest uh, endowments in the country. And when we started to look more closely, um, you know, what we want to do is compare how uh, a subsect of endowments that make up the majority of the assets, um, generally speaking, they're they're educating and serving a relatively small part of the student population. And while that certainly, you know, there's a discussion around what that means for those institutions, I think we would argue that it also means maybe more for the institutions and students that aren't currently served by some of those financial resources, yeah. uh, especially as those institutions have to make some really hard decisions in the COVID pandemic. Yeah, and that'll be a big point that we'll get into in this series. Matt, let's talk about what we found. I thought the most interesting insight was on tuition and net price. Yeah, I personally, to be honest, when I and I like to read on the sector, if I, if I read an analysis of kind of higher education finances, student debt, that type of stuff. And the piece does not include some discussion of net price. It gets a discount in my mind right away that the author actually has a deep understanding of what's going on in the sector. Everybody is aware of kind of the headline numbers around tuition, as Elliot referenced. There's been tons of coverage around student debt and the back end of what that looks like. But this underlying dynamic of what money colleges are actually getting from students is is not well understood. And our finding was basically that if you look at especially for private four-year institutions, if you look at that trend over time, is that net price has been growing at a lower rate than inflation over the past 20 years. Now, I, it, this is a good example of what you were talking about at the top end, Stacey, that the, the mismatch between kind of some of the public perception, even, I mean, even among people who follow the sector to some degree or policymakers or real engaged stakeholders, and what the reality looks like. It's interesting to look at over the past 20 years because at the beginning of that period and the time right before that is when higher education really made a lot of changes to look at pricing quite differently in terms of willingness and ability to pay. For the economists in our audience, there's like an aspect of this of matching the supply and demand curves on some of this stuff is what are what is this worth to you? Right. And that means different things to different people, depending on the school and the brand and their obviously their financial situation and all the rest of it. But but that's really what's going on. And the result is that even though you get these these impressions of these high sticker prices and universities have tons of money and all this sort of stuff is that that is not that is not what the economics look like underlying this in terms of what people are actually paying for the education that they're receiving. It's just not. Yeah. And then the, the, I mean, one of the things that we found that seems obvious, but like the impact of the pandemic 
has just surfaced all of these deep problems and, and brought them right out. Well, yeah. And, and you know, what's fascinating about that too, is that schools have a high, high disincentive to, to communicate any measure of weakness or um, vulnerability or inadequacy or anything like that, because who wants to go start at a college that you don't know if it's going to be there when you graduate? Sure. Which is nobody. So, so there's a dimension of the incentives. I mean, the incentives are completely in the opposite direction of what the economics look like under underneath. And then you get the pandemic and it's like, okay, well, I'm not on campus. How much is this really worth? But you have these huge capital costs in terms of like a, a campus is expensive and you have capital sitting there. I mean, it's, it's a very, very difficult moment. And when you factor in things like sports or room and board or, or any of these other dimensions that are revenue generators for the, for uh, universities. I mean, one of the interesting dimensions that we looked at and touched on is, is uh, hospitals is that the healthcare sector ironically has been adversely impacted by the pandemic because of the um, reduction in elective procedures and that sort of thing. University hospitals are a common um, aspect of revenue and sources on campus, and and that's been devastated as well. It's really been a very a very difficult uh, time for higher education. I would add, Matt, that you know when we look at those growth rates over time, it's worth you know explicitly saying. So roughly from 2000 to 2020, inflation averaged 2.2 percent, just a little bit over 2 percent. For four-year public schools, which is where you see a lot of the concern around, you know, I know when I was at Cal, there was uh, questions about increases in tuition and how that, you know, reflects state budget changes. But for four-year public schools annually, roughly 2.7% increases. Four-year private schools, 1.1%, like half as slowly as inflation. Now, now it's actually important to note too, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that not every student is paying a lot of money for college, right? I mean, part of the, part of the challenge with a model where you, where you are, where you are paying what you are willing to pay is that almost by definition, everybody is on the cusp of what they're willing to pay. So nobody's happy. There are plenty of people who don't think that they're getting a good deal or people that are paying through the nose or, or whatever it may be. But it's, it's a, you know, the economist in me loves it from a, you know, matching it all together and making it work, but it doesn't necessarily leave everybody happy about the situation as we've seen over the over recent years really since the financial crisis of uh, grumpiness around student debt and paying it back and those burdens well it's going to be really interesting to hear from people who are working inside the sector and maybe even we may hear from some who are analyzing the industry and to hear what they think of these misperceptions and to to get a little deeper in it and that's what we're going to do in this series on higher ed on HPS Insights. So I'm really looking forward to it, um, to sharing my perspective from having been six years in the industry at Georgetown and to hearing more of your perspectives, Matt and Elliot. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insight and visit us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.